Lockdown. This is your host Clint, aka Thug Nasty, aka Westwood, aka Liberty Lockpod on Twitter. Goodness gracious, what a week! I beefed hard last week with the LP, and I actually have a host or a co-host guest, I should say, on today. I will have him on in a little bit, but I wanted to talk briefly about what I actually think the LP is should be there for. Um, because I talked a lot about, you know, how I would be modifying the message that they're presenting to the voter. But what I really want to talk about is the spirit that I think that they should be trying to embody. And I think it's the spirit that makes each and every one of you listening right now tune in so gleefully every week to your handful of liberty oriented podcast programs it's a passion for freedom it is a love of liberty that's really what we're here for that's what brought me to the movement that's what keeps me here that's what gets me up out of bed every single day to talk about these topics so passionately it's because I believe in it and I just, I know in my soul, it's the answer. I know that freedom is the answer for humanity. It sounds, it sounds a little bit religious <laughs> when I talk about it, um, but that's okay. I'm not going to run away from it because that's how passionate I am. That's how deeply I feel it. In my view, you know, if you want to give the Nick Sarwalks of the world the best possible you know, steel man argument for their tactics over the past four to eight years. It's that they are trying to slowly, incrementally move the LP into the mainstream to add on one or two or three million additional votes for the libertarian candidate each presidential election. That's the, that's the steel man version of his argument. What I'm, what I'm trying to convey, what I think most people that, you know, are in the Mises Caucus, the people that really love liberty, the people that are like libertarian and cap to their core, to the soul, we aren't about getting a million more votes because that doesn't win us an election. That doesn't change the course of history. What I am about, what I'm here for, the reason I have a show myself, the reason I'll probably run for office one day, um, the reason my dad ran for Congress twice is because I want to change the hearts and minds of my fellow man. That's what I'm about. I want people to break away from the indoctrination of the state. I want people to know that there's another option out there that can give them some answers that, that they've been looking for and being let down by everyone around them. Media, government, family, friends. No one has the answer for them. 
lot of people a lot of people if you talk to them they they feel an inclination towards libertarianism i mean the classic thing was when i used to talk to people they'd be like if if they claimed to be nonpartisan or independent you would i know people push back against this description of libertarianism but i think it's really it it tell it told me a lot when i was talking to people about like what they actually feel in their hearts and they would usually say like well i i agree with the democrats when it comes to drug laws and you know i'm not very pro war um but i also don't really want socialism you know i don't want really high taxes so i just don't vote <laughs> you know i would hear that all the time from my friends in their 20s they that's what they would say they'd be like you know i <clears throat> i believe in capitalism but i I uh, I also don't want you know I don't want to support the the war efforts, and I would tell them about libertarianism. And if they were my friends over the years, I would slowly convince them that there was a there was another option. Some of those people are listening right now. You know, some of those people are deeply passionate about liberty at this point in their lives. And I'm not taking any credit for that. I mean, I happened to be the first person that talked to them, but it was their own journey. You know, I, I gave them maybe the first, the, I planted the first seed, so to speak, but I'm not responsible. Like they, they went out, they already had it in them as far as I'm concerned. You know, it's like a good teacher. Like you need a good student. Like these people were already open. They were already reading. They were already interested in alternate ways of looking at the world. And they were looking for answers. A lot of people aren't looking for answers. They want to be told what to think. That's not, those aren't the people we're trying to reach. And that brings me back to my point. We're not trying to reach the SJWs. Those people, they want to be told what to think. Those are followers. We need leaders in this movement. We need people that are willing to fight and die for freedom. I can't, I can't put it any more simple than that. That's really, that's really what we need. We need people that are willing to fight and die to be free again. Without that, we're never going to trick 50 million people into voting for the LP. It's not going to happen. You need true believers. You need people that will, will not just vote LP, but will run for office themselves, that will talk to their family and friends, that will stand up for themselves at work, try to sh start to try and shift back the culture war we've lost so severely so far it isn't about tricking an extra million people into casting a protest vote because they hate hillary clinton and they hate donald trump i hate those people too but that doesn't matter that's not getting us any power that's not actually changing the course of history i i'm not interested in really getting power i just want to take away the power from the state you know like that that's really what we're about it's not about us taking over the reins of power if it is it's only temporarily so we can dismantle the system i mean that's the the anarchist side of the anarcho-capitalist is it's not about being the tyrant you hate it's about getting rid of them until we have people that actually understand what libertarianism means in their heart we're never gonna trick them into riding with us being able to vocalize these concepts that are foreign as hell to people that have been in public school for 12 years or 16 years or 20 years if you include the universities those people need serious deprogramming it's happening thank god it's happening but it's not going to be an overnight fix just because joe jorgensen 
talks a good game. She's she's right on a lot of topics. I don't even hate her as a candidate. But when the LP comes out with, it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag anti-racism. And then you clarify a minute later and then you double down a day later with memes and shit. It's just like, it's so transparent. You're trying to get one million, maybe a million and a half disaffected non-voters to cast a ballot for the libertarian. So you could say, look at, look at my accomplishment. Look at what I did. I got 6 million votes instead of 5 million that Gary Johnson got. Who gives a fuck? Honestly, who cares? Sure, we want to slowly pull back either the Republican or the Democrat to our side so that they can, they can implement some of the things we believe in. But I'm not an incrementalist, folks. I'm not. We have to be driving towards revolution. It doesn't have to be violent. It doesn't have to be overnight. But we're not talking about incremental change when I'm talking about getting rid of the biggest government in the history of mankind. This isn't incremental at all. If you're an incrementalist, I'm not sure you even belong in the liberty movement. Your goal at the end of the day can't be a 25% top tax bracket. The fuck is that? You a conservative from 1992? No. I, I, I'm sorry. That's not, that's not our movement. We're not about an income tax. We're about getting rid of it. We're about abolition. We're about freedom. We're about ending slavery in our lifetimes. Anti-racists talk a lot about slaves. They don't talk at all about the fact that we're all slaves to the state. And they sure as shit don't talk about the Uyghurs who are in actual slave camps in China right now. So I don't know why you're trying to get these obvious followers. These aren't deep thinkers. These aren't thought leaders. These are people that are following a Marxist movement, period. That's all they are. I don't want them in our party. They're not ever going to do anything for us. If they vote for us once, they'll, they'll be... They'll vote for Sanders the next go-around. Or they'll vote for AOC when she runs. These people aren't principled. They're not actual, you know, die-hard, know-what-the-fuck-we're-talking-about libertarians. They're just not... They're going to serve Nick Sarwak's purpose of going into corporate America and saying, hey, look what I did with the LP, when at the end of the day, we'll all know he was a fucking failure. An abject waste of the opportunity of a lifetime. Some, Some people defend Sarwak. Not many. Thank God. But a lot, oftentimes I'll get asked like, why are you so upset with this guy? It's because I fucking care, man. I really deeply care about this movement. It isn't a fucking career for me. It isn't a joke to me. It isn't about incremental gains in voters. It's about revolution. It's about Ron Paul love revolution. That's what I'm about. That's what got me in the movement. You know, I've been in it before Ron Paul uh, was running, but really what like, What made me passionate, what made me like eat, sleep, and live this was that movement, was knowing that there was someone willing to tell the truth when it was unpopular, to go against the grain when no one else would. Saying it's not enough to be anti-racist is not going against the grain. You're not winning over any hearts and minds with that. You're not making anyone go, hmm, this this is different. This is someone who's actually saying something maybe even a little bit controversial. Let me check them out. Let me see what they have to say. Let me see how deep this, this rabbit hole goes. That's what we need. All due respect to Joe Jorgensen, I really don't think she's a bad candidate, but she's not what we need. And it's not, it's not really her fault. It's Sarwak's fault. It's the LP's fault. They put up a candidate that can't win hearts and minds. 
That's the truth. They would have been going. They would have been better off going with Spike Cohen, the VP, even though no one knew who he was. They would have been better because at least he's young. At least he's compelling. We need a young, vibrant thought leader. We need a Maj Touré. We need a Dave Smith, Eric July. We need someone who's brash, who's willing to tell you like it is, who's willing to speak their mind, let the chips fall where they may, tell you what they believe and why they believe it, be willing to stand on it, defend it, not say, uh, we need to bake a cake, you know? No Gary Johnsons, folks. I'm done. I'm done with that shit. Nick, I'm done with it. We don't need to talk to the Joe Rogans of the world and like Peter Schiff, convince them for 10 seconds in libertarianism. We need people to know it deeply in their hearts and model their lives after it, raise their kids with it in mind. That's the goal. Anything less is a failure. Anyways, that's, uh, that's my opening salvo. <laughs> if you'd like to hang on, I have a great guest today and it is crowdfunded government. Um, he, he has a website where we talk about it basically the entire interview. So uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but, uh, we've been following each other on Twitter for a while. And I think that he's got a, a great concept and I think it was worth having a good combo with him so that anyone that's interested in crowd crowdfunded government and what that could mean as an, as kind of an alternative to anarchism as a, perhaps an interim step towards minarchism. I think it's a great concept. I think it has a lot of merit and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Talk to you next week. Welcome everybody back to Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint and I'm very happy to have a guest this week. It is crowdfunded government at crowdfundedgov on Twitter. This is Theodore. Go ahead and introduce yourself for us. Clint, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. My name's uh, Theodore Quinoa, Executive Director, Crowdfunded Government Movement. You can find me at the crowdfund crowdfundedgovernment.com website, at crowdfundedgov on Twitter. I am the world's foremost advocate for ending involuntary taxation and instead voluntarily crowdfunding government programs. And I can't wait to talk to you about it because you had a fantastic tweet that got you and I uh, kind of the, the gears moving in our heads that we had to have a conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, let me let me read what uh, what you commented on so that we can actually just start off there. I said that I'm having a difficult time rationalizing the need for my tax dollars when the government has declared as loudly as ever that they will print and buy whatever asset necessary to maintain our current economic bubble. Why the fuck, TF? Should I should we pay taxes tomorrow? Just print it, bitch. And I said this on the 14th when tax day was the 15th, thanks to COVID. Um, Oh, and then hashtag Burr, obviously, because the money printer. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> I am, and 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 it wasn't hyperbole. I, I'm I'm really struggling. You know, in the past, it used to be like, okay, uh, government budgets are a real thing. You know, you have to have X amount of money come in, and then X amount of money can go out. And if you have deficits, you can borrow it, sure, but you still have to pay back that debt at some point. Now. We're just printing it, which makes it even more unjustifiable for me to be making that tax payment. And I actually TMI for some people, but I sent $45,000 to the federal government yesterday. Um, I am not happy about it. <laughs> I don't think that's TMI. I think that is an angry taxpayer. And uh, you have every right to be an angry taxpayer. I wouldn't be happy. if I. Uh, who, who is happy right now, Clint? 
anyone that's not paying taxes and getting uh, largesse from the government, I probably are probably not that unhappy. But uh, anyone paying taxes should be unhappy. I would I would hope. Good. So I, I like that you introduced that um, because it got some real fire going. Now, I have always been objected to government debt. And let me explain why. Because essentially, the idea that you've proposed is an interesting one. And in fact, Rush Limbaugh discussed it back in the 1990s. Um, it's a, it's a rel- I mean, he kind of glanced over it, right? But I did, in research of a crowdfunding government, I did find that he, even he talked about this as an idea. Um, because it is absurd, right? So the national debt is 20-some trillion. I literally don't know what number it is. 20-some trillion. It's 26. Um, every, yep. Yeah. Every year we're spending at least one, and this year probably two or three or four, that are being borrowed and just adding to that number. So if the number doesn't matter, then why don't we just keep making that number go up and don't take any money from me? Mm-hmm. It's the same. So, it's, it's honestly the same argument for minimum wage. It's like, all right, well, if if 15 is, you know, okay, and you, it's not going to cause any unemployment, then why not 25? Why not 40? Obviously at some mat, at some point it does matter, but if they're going to tell me that they can print, you know, 4 trillion, 5 trillion a year, then definitely I want to keep my 45 grand, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure you could find productive uses. I don't think you would take all the money and spend it on strippers. I think as a reasonable adult, you would spend money in your community on projects that are popular. I, I don't think that that's such a radical idea. That well, you you're, have to you're be right. Forced. You're right. But honestly, even if I spend it on strippers, then they would spend it on uh, daycare for their kids. So, that's, you know. the, that's one of the arguments that I make, which is people, <laughs> people say that, which is, all right, so you're thinking everybody can just spend their money. Well, what if somebody spends it on investments? What if somebody spends it on a big boat? And I'm like, you realize money has velocity and it moves from place to place. So even if you're a jerk Scrooge who wants to give 0%, when you bought your yacht, the yacht maker employed a bunch of people, bought a bunch of materials, operated a warehouse and an office and administrative staff. So your money doesn't disappear in the economy. Your contribution may be zero, but your dollars didn't disappear. There's the same number of dollars available in the economy to make a decision and somebody else will be more altruistic than you, I can assure you, if you choose to simply quote unquote waste your money, which I don't, it's, I don't believe that there is such a thing as wasting money. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, even if I'm a drug addict, uh, at some point that money is producing economic growth and, you know. Yeah, literally, literally money doesn't get burnt. Like money is just out there. So that, so now back to your tweet, which I love because it's a good way of thinking. So the problem that I have with your idea and, you know, I'm certainly not knocking. I'm just saying, here's why I don't advocate for that. Because I did think about that when I was designing crowdfunding government. I said, well, what if we just borrow it? Because doesn't that seem to be what we do anyway? And we're just kind of like doing a roundabout thing. Well, the problem with government debt is it's slavery. And it's enslaving people that aren't even born yet. In fact, it's enslaving the children of people who aren't even born yet. Government debt is the most insidious invention possible because it enslaves a a group of people. So long as they use the currency that the debt is denominated in, they are enslaved. So this would be This would be the reason that I would argue against it because the enslavement would come from, there are no free lunches. And there are many people who are much more intelligent than me that can talk about monetary policy because my real focus is fiscal policy. But you can't create something, increase the supply, and if demand remains constant, the price will go down. 
So the value of your dollar goes down. So essentially, even though you wouldn't be paying, let's say 20, 30, 40% of taxes, every year you'd have to make 20, 30, 40% more to fight the, uh, the inflationary effects that creating government debt does. So well, in this case, uh, let me interject real quick. In this case, it's even more insidious than debt because it is inflation. So it's, a, it's basically a hidden tax and a debt that you know, devalues the currency that's already in circulation. So it's, it's both a tax on people who don't exist and who aren't alive, but also on the very people who are paying taxes today and are struggling more and more day after day to you know, maintain their lifestyles because the purchasing power of their savings is declining. Yeah, I remember when, when gas went below a dollar um, earlier this year and everybody was losing their mind. And I thought back and I'm like, dude, that, that was the price in, at some point in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. what happened? What, the, what happened to the dollar, man? I thought the dollar bought things. It, it really doesn't. And I hadn't really thought about gas prices until they went down to 75 cents up in Wisconsin. And I was like, dude, I remember paying around a dollar back on the day. So um, that is a great point that uh, that is sort of the combination of the two, which is I don't like punishing people now and I don't like punishing people in the future burdening them to try to figure this out. So that's the reason why when I'm designing this crowdfunding government system, I'm a believer that government should operate on a cash basis without debt. Because if a government can't bring in this year the money that it needs to do whatever project supposedly is important, the project isn't important. Because logically speaking, people will pay for what's important. They will not pay for what's not important. Otherwise, it's not important. I, so, I, I love the concept. Tell, tell me more about how you would actually implement that. Are you, are you a believer in democracy? Do you think we can actually vote this into an action? Yeah, so I am a believer that uh, the, I, I'm a pragmatist when it comes to political implementation. And I know that that's a real dog whistle for some libertarians and anarchists because pragmatism is the road to serfdom. Um, absolutely. You know, going along to get along and making incremental changes is just accepting your enslavement. So I get it. I've, I've had plenty of philosophical debates. And the reason that I don't focus on that is because I'm actually optimistic about the political system that we have, because we have a great system if if you buy into it, and again, I can't, I can't go down the rabbit hole too far because it gets a little bit too off the beaten path in regards to what I want to spread to you and your listeners. Mm -hmm. But I'm a believer that if you take the existing political system that we have now, introduce the idea of crowdfunding on a very local, small level. Let's say they take 1% out of your property taxes next year and they eliminate the bottom 1% of programs or they reduce the bottom 2% of programs by 50%. And then they say, okay, we're giving you a penny, you know, we're giving you a cent back on a dollar, but if you'd like to give, you can give. These are the programs that were cut to give you this. I think there's very reasonable ways to introduce an idea like this because on the surface, it's absurd. You're never going to change the federal tax system from voluntary to involuntary. I mean, I've told in the past, and I truly believe it, crowdfunding government is a thousand year idea. It took us five, 10, 20,000 years to develop civilization, and we always paid tribute to the king or died. There are very limited examples in human history of truly voluntarily funded societies. So I'm talking about something in the year 2000 that was the case back in the year 2000 BC. So it's like, I, I try to be extremely realistic and pragmatic that I don't believe I'm ever gonna see the fruits of the trees that I plant 
But I do believe that if you have two cities next to each other, one of them gives a property tax rebate and says, hey, if you want to give that last 5%, here's the programs, check the box, send in the check. If you don't, keep it, spend it on yourself, spend it on your family, spend it in the economy, let's go. That's, that's sort of the, the approach that I take, which is let's take the existing system and let's get small changes at local levels. Well, I love the concept. I think that my only pushback would be is how do you get popular support for something that, I mean, you can't tell people, hey, this is a good idea. You're never going to see the fruits of it. Get on board, you know, fight with me to get this to happen. I, you know, I wish, oh, I, I, I wish mean, that's I mean, the, the way people looked at yeah. things, but you know, that's not how people look at things. Yeah. I mean, I mean the fruits of it that I don't believe at any point in my life, I die somewhere around when Haley's Comet comes back. Uh, much like Mark Twain, I came in with Haley's Comet and I expect to go out with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's literally how it worked out for him. And I can't wait for it to work out for me, man. Peace out. I'm going with the Comet. Um, I don't believe that I'm going to see that truly fully hundred percent voluntary system. That, that's what I mean when I talk about the true fruits, like, you, can you imagine? I mean, no human can. Waking up and going to bed and at no point was a gun placed in you or anybody's face forcing you to pay something. That'd be beautiful. That, but that's what I'm saying. That's so radical. Even, in, you know, even in, in, in the year 2000, that's still radical. And we are in the future, man, 2020. We, are, we have everything possible technologically available to us. And we still do government spending like we did 20,000 years ago, where the king puts a gun in your face. So I, I think, to answer your question, so sorry, I went on a bit of a diatribe there. Sure. Um, to answer your question, how do you convince people to buy in? Hey, would you vote yes or no? For a politician that wants to give you a 5% tax cut and make the last 5% of the programs the least important, according to the government, voluntary to pay for. And either those people are popular or they're not. And if that idea doesn't sell, I'll stop promoting this thing. Because everybody I've ever talked to about this idea, with the exception of people who are just purely trolls on Twitter, at least understands and likes the direction the idea could go in regards to doing more of what you want to do with your money. I, I love it. I, I think the only question for me is, you know, I'm, and I'm probably less of a pragmatist and I'm probably more of a radical than yourself. I would, I would be way more on board if we were saying, you know, I want all of taxation to be replaced by voluntary um, crowdfunded government in a decade. It, why, why is it that, I mean, I know that it's unrealistic given the, the size and nature of the federal government today. Why do you believe that it's an impossibility that we could actually see it in our lifetime? Uh, you would have to change so many, so many structures and you'd have to have so many political victories to make it a national thing. I mean, it would be, I would be surprised if you could even accomplish it with a county within my lifetime. There's just, Damn. there's too much, there's too much status quo entrenched power that feeds off of this. Yeah. Eventually, the, the vampires will lose. And this is the argument that I'm making to people in the year, uh, you know, in the year uh, 3020, is that I told you that we could figure this out. It just took a while, didn't it? Sure. Yeah. No, so that's, I, yeah, and, and, and I think and that's I, likely. I, I love what you're saying, though, but I love what you're saying. And that was actually a really good point because it ties into the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which is you have to set big goals in order to... I love setting big goals. I don't know. You don't have to do whatever you want, but 
I love setting big goals and then trying as close as I can to accomplishing it. Sure. Uh, even if I fall flat on my face. And if you want to win hearts and minds, oftentimes you need to sell something that people are going to witness, you know, that they're going to feel the benefits of. Like if I'm, if I'm making the pitch for this concept, which I, which I've already told you, I really appreciate and I love it. I, I honestly think it'd be, you know, even though I'm more, I lean more anarchist than I do minarchist, this would be kind of the ideal minarchist solution where literally the only purpose of government is things that people are already supporting um, with their voluntary dollars. You know, it's, it's a voluntarist version of minarchism. So it's, um, it's great. However, when I'm, when I'm talking to people, I find it extremely difficult to get them to grasp any concept that doesn't benefit them. So like if I'm talking to someone about police brutality and they're a white person from the suburbs, they've never, most of them have never had a negative interaction with the cop to the point where they felt like their lives were in jeopardy. Whereas a black yeah. person, you talk to a black person about it and they're like, yeah, dude, we got to do something about these fucking cops. And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. I know. Um, so I think that's the same, same kind of concept I would have with this is like, you have to be able to either sell them on the concept that it's going to happen in their lifetime or that it's so meaningful that it's worth, it's worth, you know, sacrificing in the, in the short term. So what, I guess, what is your, 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 your intermediate plan is just to get a 5% reduction off the tax bill and, and a 5% switch over to voluntary donations. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I would propose one of two. Either the, the first one is just what I said, which is, you know, take 1%, take 5% of a flat thing like a property tax. So it's very easy to administer, not as variable as sales tax or income tax. It's nice and flat. Your asset is worth what it is. We know what it's going to be worth next year. Here's your chunk, right? So we can nicely evenly divide it out. Um, that's option one. Option two is even, even less crazy, which is what if you just had for that bottom 5% of programs, the budget only allowed for four of the programs. So everybody just had to decide how much they wanted to give of that 5% that's already being collected. That might be more palatable to tell people like, Hey, here's, here's these programs that are by all definitions, non-essential. Some of them don't appear to be very popular. Um, there's a lot of pushback on some of these programs. How much you guys actually want to give out of your last 5% so that the sure. bottom of the property tax, you know, go to the website or check the boxes in certain percentages and then send in your check. Okay. And, and are those you, are, those are, I think the best way to accomplish it. Are, and are you doing this on a state initiative, like ballot initiative or, or what, what level is this starting out at? I think the only way you're ever going to make major change in politics is extremely local. So I'm talking about counties. I'm talking about cities. I'm talking about townships. Hell, I'm talking about neighborhoods that okay. want to plow their own street and, and tell the city, you don't have to plow us anymore. We got this thing taken care of. Give us a deduction off of our property taxes. We got but, that handled. But, but state taxes, at least in California where I'm at, are paid to the state. You know, uh, The property taxes are paid to the state. So how is it that the county would be able to do that. Oh, that, that, that's the other thing too. There's a thousand and one ways that local government operates, and some of them are not going to be conducive to some of the ideas that I have. Chicago is a great example. I live in Chicago, and that would be the last place that I would expect a crowdfunded government to be experimented with because okay. there's such an old school party system. And right. I, yeah. there, there is, yeah. It's, some it's beyond systems, repair in Chicago. <laughs> well, right. That, that, that's what I'm saying. And I think actually that's why I love living here because it fires me up every day to try to make the world a more free place. Like I'm constantly, like I, have to, I have to pay seven cents when I go to the store and I, and I use a, and I buy a plastic bag. 
Oh yeah, me too. I, I think okay. it's 10, well, 10, 10 for me. So oh, I you got, guys are at ten. Oh, I, I have 35 percent more tyranny than you. Oh boy. <laughs> so so I I don't argue that there is a one size solution that fits all. Um, I don't argue that it's going to work in some jurisdictions without major legal turnover. But I do know this, that there has to be somewhere where there's a small enough unit of government that can easily transition because there's a small amount of programs, small amount of dollars, and we can try some experiments. No, um, I, I love it. I, I, believe me, don't, don't take any of my, my critical questioning as doubting it. I, it's simply, simply trying to iron out the details so that the listeners can understand exactly what, what the goal is. And, you know, I think that personally, you know, if you could find a state, I think a state level is honestly doable because um, it's not going to be California. It's not going to be Chicago. It's not going to be any, you know, it's not going to yeah, be. But here's the crazy part. It's not going to be, it's not going to be New Hampshire either though. So it's like, I, at a certain point, I think the state level is so beyond repair without major reform at local levels, proving that they should do something. I, I agree. But what I'm saying is that the, the revenue system is so state-based, you're not going to yeah. be able to, to cancel it out for a, you know, at a city level when you're paying your taxes to the state already, because the state's not going to play ball. You know, if I was like, if I got all my, my people in San Diego on board with this, it wouldn't matter. Because the, uh, we're paying our taxes to the state. So that's what I'm saying is like, unless there are, and there probably are, I, don't, I just don't know, you know, each state and, and city's different taxation systems. But if, yeah, there is, if, if there is a state that has a city that, you know, has its own tax system in the city, I could see, I could see what you're saying. But I think, I think that property taxes are almost always paid towards the state. So I think that's the only yeah. reason I'm you know, and struggling then, to imagine it. No, and, and that's fine. And then, uh, like, for example, in Illinois, the state distributes a certain amount to different local municipalities for different things, like uh, sure. the schools, for example. So sure. somehow, somebody smarter than me involved with politics and involved with academia can figure this out. I know yeah. they can. I, this no, no, is, of listen, course. We went think... to the moon with the power of a calculator. We can figure <laughs> out how to make a budget, digitize it, transparently put it out there and people put the money in the slot for, for that. Pro I, we can figure this out, can't we? Oh yeah, <laughs> no, of course. I, I'm, I'm not sure that we went to the moon in 1968, but you know, otherwise I'm on board with you. Uh, <laughs> oh, did I say, is it 69? Uh, no, I, well, I don't even know. I, we went, we went oh! over oh, a few years. Oh, did you go to the moon? I'm, oh, God. I'm just, you know kid what, I'm just Clint, kidding. I'm just kidding. I went down, no, but, but I went down that rabbit hole several years ago. Like back, I was actually back in high school. I, I actually got it because they did that Fox special. Like, did we go to the moon? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And um, I looked into it and I was pretty firmly convinced for like a year that we didn't go. I know, um, me, me too. I, I'm still, I'm still like 60, 40. I don't shitty, know. Dude, the evidence is shitty. I mean, if I, know. If, I if I went to the moon, I would have documented everything differently. I would have done everything differently. Then it's just weird, right? It's yeah. the documentation is they lost, weird. They lost footage of it. I mean, they, there's there's plenty of reason to doubt it. But uh... oh, this is this. These are the magnetic tapes that show that we have finally walked on our natural satellite. Oh uh, yeah, we overwrote them because they weren't yeah. important <laughs> enough to keep. It's like you know, and I. So now I understand why conspiracy guys go crazy because trying to explain because now I've reverted right and I explained to people well there's reasonable explanations x y and z but I can't they're not very reasonable no they're, <laughs> they're like they're terrible explanations they're terrible answers but it's funny because as a libertarian it's like I, I'm, I'm so torn because 
I have the rational side of me that goes like, okay, this is unlikely. But then I also have the government hatred side of me, which goes like, yeah, they are inept enough to write over the tapes that recorded us landing on the moon. Like that's how bad government is. So I don't know. I don't know which, which actually the, the truth is at the end of the day, but um, anyway. Well, that, that actually ties into um, something that people sometimes joke about that they have an FBI or NSA person, you know, observing them. Oh yeah. I got, no, I got four. They're, they're awesome. You, you don't. We, we overwrote the tapes showing that we went to the moon. You think there's, <laughs> You think that there's a room with tens of thousands of people all staring at computer screens, switching between different uh, people <laughs> who talk about libertarian philosophy on Twitter? No. No. No, and I do not. There was, and if there was, by the way, there would be a leak. Yes. So the fact well, that there are no leaks in the history of the United States showing that there is some kind of, uh, some kind of like what Edward Snowden is worried about, that it's actually happening, like the, the bones are there for sure, right? That yes. they could do it because every phone call is going into Utah forever right there's a bajillion words that are all just in this database ready to be searched at any time looking for the right words yes i so there's just not there's not live monitoring i will grant you that however i do believe that there is definitely uh database storage of as you said of all of our conversations all of our texts all of our tweets and once ai becomes a real thing i think that that's when we're going to be in danger because then they can actually like search you know keywords they could search boogaloo and then come after me and all my twitter followers yeah right meanwhile i was just making jokes about hawaiian shirts like clearly my goal is not to go shoot up like it's just funny to create a militia and wear the camouflage it's or you know a fake camo hawaiian camo it's not even camo right it's just i don't know it's well, just fun it's, right it's but fucking, yeah one day it's, it's hysterical but it's also it's so funny because like there are there are obvious genuine you know, leanings for revolution amongst libertarians and anarchists. But there's yes. also, there's also just a, like, it's an in-group way of discussing the topic. Or not, I, I've never, I've never personally heard of anyone like actually talk, coming up to me and be like, Hey man, like we're game planning, you know, the, the overthrow of Alabama, you know, like I've never heard anyone talk about anything in terms of actual practical planning. So I'm going to go on the record with my NSA. <laughs> Right, yeah, that, that's the thing is every, every joke is funny because it starts with a grain of truth. And if there ever was a time to overthrow a government, might be right about now, um, if I've ever seen it. Uh, no, and I didn't, I didn't catch that episode. I'm sorry. I, uh, is that, is that actually, I thought it was a fact that some of the organizers are openly just espouse Marxism, which by the way, I mean, it's do whatever you want, believe whatever you want. I don't care. But, um, I thought that was a fact. Is that a myth? Okay. That's not a myth. No, 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 I'm saying I, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a tax truther, Clint, so, you know, take it, <laughs> take it for what you want, you know.
So back in college, um, over a decade ago, I was uh, political science, uh, you know, fancy, uh, big university. I thought I was real smart. And uh, I was a huge socialist, Marxist, communist, uh, you name it. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, that's the reason why I believe that there's hope, because you just have to think about this stuff for a while, right? And my, my roommate um, actually turned me on to the idea, the long story short, because uh, it is kind of a long story. Um, long story short is he convinced me that I should at least consider the idea that people will pay for government without needing to be forced to. And he didn't say it in so many words, but we kind of talked about it, about I was kind of like, my opinion was that people are too stupid to figure out what they're doing with their money. That's why we need to increase taxes. And that's why we, the intelligentsia, need to figure out what to do with it because all these mouth breathers can't figure out what the even, you know, all these mouth breathers have $20,000 of credit card debt. You think they know anything good about money? They're all idiots, right? So I'm telling you, brother, I, I, was, I was deep in it until um, I started working for a few years. And the more I, the more I worked, yeah, I, I went to the, so I left political science, thank God, I went into business, and I found out everything I needed to know, basically, that microeconomics was right. Everything that you learned in microeconomics is dead on. Everything you learned in macroeconomics is BS. Everything you learned in sociology was BS. But microeconomics was real. So the more I thought about incentives and the more that I thought about marginal choices and how everything has a curve in regards to demand and price. Everything has a curve. It's crazy. If you really start to do the kind of Freakonomics sort of examination of society and kind of break things down by number, it's like, wow, we can really, we can really categorize, figure this stuff out. So anyway, the ideas that my roommate had told me were really floating around in my head. And the more I thought about it, you know, the more I kind of shared with people what a dumb idea it was. And I can't, oh, can you believe the stupid idea that my uh, roommate was mentioning to me? And over time, the parody turned into kind of like, is this actually an idea? And then I was just standing in the kitchen of my, uh, my friend's place um, several years ago. And uh, I said, dude, is this the best idea you've ever heard? And I said it. He said, yes, there needs to be a website. You got to be on podcasts. Do this thing, man. This is the greatest idea I've ever heard. And so here's what I figured. I figured I would go on Twitter, I'd go on podcasts, I'd get slapped around, embarrassed, and reminded that I don't remember things from political science like tragedy of the commons, right? I forgot about that. Um, and it turns out I am a, a million and O. Basically, everybody who has ever brought their ideas to me on Twitter about why it's a bad idea, either I agree because that's a problem with government, not a problem with crowdfunding government, or that their arguments are circular or illogical. And every argument that I've heard, and I've, I made a frequently asked questions page just because I wanted to kind of hammer it out in my own head and for other people to observe, I don't believe that there's any legitimate objection to the idea other than it would be very difficult to implement, which you brought up, that's a very legitimate objection. It'd be extremely difficult to implement. Oh yeah. So
you nailed it, dude. It is. So tell me how important that Iran war is. Well, it's extremely important. We have actionable intelligence that we need to do things right away. Uh-huh. Well, if it's so important, go ahead and prove it. Yeah. Because Pete, you don't, you don't have to convince people to give to charity. People give hundreds of billions of dollars a year in America to charitable causes on top of taxation, on top of all of the things that we are forced to pay. People still give. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so these are the, so that's sort of the logic. And the, what, the way that I've addressed it with people is I realize that not everybody is going to be there yet. Because if you would have talked to me 15 years ago, I would not have been there. You, you literally couldn't have used that logic on me because I would have cognitive dissonance, blocked out whatever you just said, rich people bad, poor people good, government needs to do more for the good people and take care of the bad guys, right? So whatever you just said is in one ear and out the other. So the problem is with a lot of discourse, you have to wait till people are ready. All you can do is plant the seed because my friend planted the seed and then sure enough, it sprouted, sprouted several years later. Uh, yeah, Bush, uh, Bush Obama. Yeah. Oh, it's, that's a great story. But that friend, by the way, that I was roommates with in college, I see him once or twice a year. Um, and he reminds me every time how excited I was when Obama was elected because I was like, we're finally going to get transparent government. We're finally going to learn more about what we do with our tax dollars. And he's like, you know, every time I ever saw him, he's like, how's that transparent government going? I would shut up. <laughs> yes. Uh, my, my pitch would be if if you were an anarchist and you were trying to design an anarchist government, it would start with crowdfunding government. There's no other way you could you couldn't start from scratch. The, there would be chaos. I mean, you, you would have to start from existing systems and those existing systems are controllable by political levers. So get people in charge of the political levers that agree with you, start to create independent local communities, start to remove federal state burdens on local communities and so that that's and that's the reason why so many anarchist podcasts, even though like when I went to Childerberg, for example, I was lambasted as the, the biggest status anybody's ever met. Uh, by the end of it, it ended up being a joke because many of those people who were joking about it, I actually ended up convincing them that I secretly might be the biggest anarchist possible on Twitter in the Childerberg community. It actually might be me just incognito if, if you really think about it. There was, it was dose. Um, Illinois was still under lockdown and travel restrictions. I work for a major corporation, or I worked at the time for a major corporation that would have had a huge problem. I would have had to basically hide 
and take a vacation and then not admit that I had just left the state. Um, so I unfortunately, com I kowtowed, whatever the word is, to the powers that be in order to keep, in order to keep my, my paycheck coming and not risk, you know, getting on the bad side of upper management, I passed on it. Oh, I, yeah, it was, it was. A... Oh, um, so it's put together by um, Jacob Lindsay from Tasting Anarchy and um, Car Campit from Friends Against Government. And uh, their idea was just, I love the Fagcast, man. I, I'm, I'm hoping to uh, broadcast again with them sometime soon. Uh, they're just too funny. Um, the, uh, they came up with the idea that uh, Carr made a tweet that said, hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be drinking alone in my apartment. If anyone wants to join me this weekend, we're going to, you know, because it was the weekend of Bilderberg, we're going to call it Childerberg. And then Jacob was like, you know, Jacob is crazy. If you've ever listened to Tasting Arnicky or, or dealt with him, he's insanely, whatever type A or B, whichever one gets shit done, like, you give him a goal and tell him, hey, you got to move the mountain by the end of the day, he's going to figure it out. The mountain will be moved. So Carr accidentally challenged Jacob and this spiraled into about 20 to 30 people um, last year. Um, maybe it got up to around 40 during the peak because I was one of the people who showed up first, left last, you know, um, slept in the, you know, on the campsite. Um, but yeah, it was a really good turnout. And it's my understanding there was a similar turnout this year, but the big difference this year from last year a bunch of people showed up that Jacob and Carr didn't know and found out about it on the internet and just decided to go and, and make some friends, which was really cool. Yeah, because the original Childerberg was just like the Liberty Podcast community. Um, that was like it, you know, like there were no there were no surprise guests or anything crazy. So that's got me really optimistic for next year, assuming there is a next year, right? This feels like 2012, doesn't it? It's like, oh my God, it's not a next year. Um, you know what's really crazy? At the start, at the start of this year, I was having a bad fall, bad winter, but I was very optimistic. And I and I told my closest friends, I said the only thing getting me through this is that in May, June, I get to go hang out with a few dozen of my best friends and do nothing but drink beer and talk libertarian, anarchist, volunteerist pot, uh, uh, politics. I can't wait. So I made a big stink. Like I had like a countdown. I knew how many days it was, you know, I was like 114, you know, 114 or whatever. And then, <laughs> oh, I jinxed it, dude. I think I did it. I think I'm the whole, I am patient zero for this thing. Oh, sure. Yeah, that, that's the website. If you want to go check out some blogs and uh, podcasts, you know, you can get all your information at crowdfundedgovernment.com. If you want to mix it up in the mean streets of Twitter, um, at crowdfundedgov. I do have one major change that I've made to my approach on Twitter really quick, if you got um, 60 seconds for me to run through it. <laughs> I, I guess I'm the one with a tight schedule today. I'm sorry. Um, 
the biggest change that I made is, like I was saying, for the past five years, I've been fighting these battles every day. I don't ignore people. Like if people at me and say, hey, crowdfunding government is a stupid idea, I will go back and forth as long as you don't do the multi-text because I do ignore when somebody does like one out of 10, two out of 10, like I'm, I'm out. I, I don't have, I can't, I can't. Um, but if people give me like legitimate back and forth, I'm happy to explain. Just like you had the objection questions, right? There's dumber than you, you asked some pretty, you know, some pretty insightful ones, but there's just some dumb ones, dude. It's like, well, what if the rich people set up a program to kill all the poor people? It's like, all right, well, that's all right, you know, I got to work this whole thing out and explain how that's actually impossible in a democracy for that to happen because 51% of the people would have to vote to kill themselves. So, right, it's okay. So, back it up. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, the idea that I had on Twitter was that I am no longer doing arguments. I'm done with arguments. What I'm asking you, if you would like to help, and what I'm asking any of my friends who might be listening to your podcast or see me in the mean streets of Twitter in the future, the best thing you can do for me, if somebody is kind of arguing against like, well, what if we didn't have taxes, wouldn't have roads, just post an ironic meme, a bad meme, making their argument, and then just leave it alone. Basically, posterize people ironically don't engage in the, because people can do their own homework. What I realized when I was thinking about it, it's like people can read crowdfunded government. They're choosing not to go to my website. So they're, they're not, the questions that people ask indicate to me that all they did was read my profile and were like, oh, this guy's an idiot. I'm going to, I'm going to totally slam dunk on him. And it's like, so if people aren't going to give me the respect of critically analyzing my ideas and just simply making the same stupid 10 arguments over and over again that they clearly haven't thought out. I think the best thing that we can do is create a meme, make their argument, post their argument after their argument and leave it alone. So I have, I have committed to a new style of Twitter argumentation, which is the only thing that I want to do, I want to have my arguments on podcasts. I want to spread my message with my voice because conversation is truly how ideas move forward. Text, paragraphs, tweets, I'm done with them. Just bad memes from now on. So if you love me, if you want to support me, if you want to help the cause, send me a bad meme. Say at crowdfunded.gov and just put a picture of something stupid like, duh, nobody would fix the roads and then show some crumbling roads or something. Dude, awesome. I would greatly appreciate that. Yes. Perfect. So if, if you could do me a favor, next time you see somebody mixing it up with me, or maybe in a response to a post about this podcast, and all you posted was a bad meme in response to it, you know, just responding to yourself, that would be hilarious and greatly appreciated. No, Clint, you know what? This is a good introduction. Like I said, I have some advanced crowdfunding government stuff that I'm working on. It's a little, it takes a little bit of time to explain. It's a little bit nuanced. So I'll just stick with the basics of crowdfunded government, find me on Twitter, send me some bad memes, and uh, I'm going to try to make some progress over the next few months on this idea, and I'd love to follow up with every podcast that I do um, and get a status update because I predict I will have some very spicy status updates for you over the next couple months in regards to some serious progress on crowdfunding government.
Amen. Thank you, Clint. Greatly appreciate it.